Welcome back to the AEC Hive, where we're talking about innovation in architecture, engineering, and construction. I'm Ralph Montague, director at Arcdux and co-founder of the AEC Hive. Hi, everyone. This is John Egan, CEO of BIM Launcher and co-founder at AEC Hive. Looking forward to today's discussion. We're very excited today to be joined by Todd Wen, who is the Creative Marketing Director at Applied Software and also the host of the award-winning podcast called Bridging the Gap. Todd, you're very welcome. Join us. We're really excited to be talking to you today. Maybe just to get things going, you could give the listeners a bit of a, a background for yourself and how you got to where you are and what you're currently doing, and then we could get into a discussion. Yeah, sounds great. First and foremost, thanks so much for, for having me. I'm looking forward to the, the conversation and and unpacking some some innovation going on in construction. But so my career has been in actually on the marketing side of things. I've been at a company called Applied Software as their director of marketing for the last seven years of my career. And that was kind of my my first foray into the AEC space. And what I have found coming into AC seven years ago is my perception of the industry is is actually very different than what the reality is. And one of my favorite parts of my job is that I get to host the podcast, as you mentioned, Bridging the Gap, which really focuses in on construction, the tech that's in there, the innovation, and how do you approach that from a more holistic vantage point? So not focusing just on the you know picks and clicks of the technology, but how do you set up a company uh, for workflow processes or the, the culture to really infuse innovation into it. And over the course of, of doing that over the last few years, it has really opened my eyes to the amount of innovators that are throughout construction specifically, but AEC more broadly as well, too, that the, the message that is getting out to the rest of the world outside of the industry is the perception that it does not meet reality. And so it's really fun to dig in and, and see just the cool things that are, are happening in this space and the, the stories that aren't getting shared out to the public at large of, of what's actually going on in this industry. But yeah, so the, my, my, my background's marketing. So I, I kind of look through that, that lens of the communication angle of it. But um, I think this is a great industry to, to be in. And, and over the seven years, I've really developed a, a big passion for AC and construction specifically. To get things going, I thought I might pick up on that word communication. It's almost like a, the beginning of a joke when you say, you know, what, what do a, a creative marketing director and a software developer and an architect have in common? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are we going to discuss? And um, I was going to put this idea forward that, you know, when it comes to building something, you know, most people would think of the, the, the physical construction as the act of putting two bricks together or putting two pieces of metal together. But, of course, behind that that action is some instruction that has to be communicated between you know, two or more parties. Yeah, and so that, that flow of information, which is the, the instruction or the communication that has to happen to allow that physical action to take place that re results in buildings and infrastructure, yeah, is really where the challenge is and where the problems are in our industry. So, mm -hmm. so it's very much a communications and an information problem. You know, and yeah, so that's I think where it's a very good common ground between us because, of course, your your background is in com managing communications uh, and making sure communications are effective. I think that's that's probably a really important thing you bring to the industry. John's background in software development is making the technical connections. I suppose I suppose my background in architecture is about producing the communications or the vision or, yeah, and and getting that across to people. So. 
I think, what do you think? That's a pretty good starting point. Communications is yeah. the challenge. I'm uh, just putting it out there. And what is your feeling about, you said you're new to the industry or newish, or you came into the industry from, from the left side, if you like. What is your view when you look at the industry and the attitude towards communications and information flows? Like what yeah, surprised I, you? well well, i think you 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 nailed it that that's one of the big stumbling blocks in the aec industry is uh and what's fascinating is you know everybody talks about collaboration and it's such a way overused buzzword that everybody wants to collaborate better but everybody has a different definition of what collaboration means and the biggest stumbling block is that nobody's really speaking the same language and so Architects get frustrated with the GCs who get frustrated with the subs who get frustrated back at the architect. You know, and everybody's all frustrated with each other and they're wanting to collaborate. And they're, they, in theory, are speaking like they're on the same language, but they don't take the time to slow down and really listen to what the other person is, is saying and l- listening to not create a retort back to them, but but listening to understand where they're coming from and then figure out where are the commonalities that they can really strive to get to together. And so, you know, at the end of the day, everybody, no matter what part of the industry you're on, you you are all trying to get the same goal done. You're trying to build a building from the ground up and create something from nothing. And I, I think if people would take the time to have those conversations on the front end and not just when something didn't go according to plan and then it's the the blame game and pointing the finger, if you take the time on the front end, I, I think it would solve not all the problems, but it would streamline things and, and create a a more impactful channel of communication and open up lines of communications better. Well, the, I mean, you could say that's the problem. People don't have the time because of the the structure of the industry and that you know it's, it's very fragmented. And everybody, although we're all trying to build a building, as you say, everybody's doing a very small piece. And and actually, what they focused on is just getting their small piece done and getting paid and moving on to the next project. <laughs> To, you know, yeah. to do another another small piece, and you know, so I think that might be part of the problem. Is it's quite disconnected, and you, you you kind of question who actually has this overarching vision to bring the whole building or piece of infrastructure together. Is it a chicken and an egg dilemma, though? In that, yeah, nobody has the time to sit down and have those lines of communications at the the front side of it, and so it creates that problem. Or is it that people? need to take the time to sit down and the problem is created because they're not taking the time to kind of the the slow down to move fast mentality. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think if if we could shift that mindset around that, if you slow yourself down on the front side of it, take the time to have those conversations, you actually are able to run faster and pull more people into the process easier than what is currently being done now. But in the paradigm of today's industry, I agree with you. There isn't the time to, to sit down. I, I think I'm arguing that we need to shift that that paradigm. And really the, the pressure of whose plate does that fall on? I mean, all roads lead back to the owner. They're, they're the ones that are uh, ultimately should be the one casting the vision and demanding that people sit down and, and have those conversations on the front side, because it's going to, at the end of the day, save them a heck of a lot of money. Well, you put some responsibility, I suppose, on the professionals, because if you're an owner, unless you're a type of owner that's building many buildings, if you're an owner of a single building or project, then you're really relying on your professional team 
because sure. that's why that's why you hire them. You know, if you <laughs> you don't you don't know how to build a building or design a building, and that's so you're hiring the professionals to assist you. You know, and it's coming back to your chicken and the egg thing. You know, a lot of designers and contractors keep saying it's the owner's fault. You know, for not being more specific. But you know, if you were sitting on the owner's side, you might you might say, well, the reason I hired professional designers and contractors is because I don't have the expertise to be more specific. That's why I went to a professional. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like I always use the example. I've used it a few times on this podcast. But if if you're sick and you go to a doctor, you know, the doctor doesn't expect you as the patient to tell him what the diagnosis is and what treatment you should receive. Like that's his job as the doctor. He's the professional. Sometimes we get that back to front, I think, in the in the industry. Professionals so, are not taking professional responsibility. Yeah. Do you think that it's – this more kind of curiosity from my side. Do you think it's the professionals not taking the responsibility or not feeling empowered to take the responsibility and, and call the shots, and so they just kind of defer to somebody else? Well, they ha- – they have the responsibility under law and regulation, and they do have the responsibility. I think some of it is uh, in the commercials transaction. I think over time people have tried to reduce the price that they will pay for professional services mm-hmm. over and over. So they've squeezed, they've tried to squeeze the you know the fee, if you like, for professional services because it's not seen as something physical. Like you know, you'll pay for a brick because the brick has a physical presence, you know, but you won't pay for information to tell you how to use that brick. You yeah. know, whereas if we go back to the first statement, that brick is not going to end up on top of another brick without information. So that would be my feeling is people don't see the value in the information because it's, it doesn't have a physical presence, uh, and therefore they keep trying to re- squeeze the fee. And, and in reaction, the professionals say, well, if you're only going to give me so much money and it only allows me to spend so much time on the work then I'm going to do whatever I can within that that amount of time you know and it's probably not what you expect <laughs> right you're right yeah and well that could, be, back. could be a bit of that but I'd, yeah there's lots of reasons I suppose yeah that leads back to the communication issue that we started with and that then I, I would say that the professionals aren't taking they're not communicating their value well yeah. enough and Absolutely. explaining why it's important to pay that premium, if you will, to get their expertise and what they're going to do over and above. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, there's some people that are doing that well, but maybe as a, a general rule, you have like, this is your base and this is what you're going to get if you're going to be willing to pay this. But if you really want to hear our expertise and for us to, to lead it and, and own it and not just do the kind of the bare minimum, if you will, this is what it's going to cost you, and here's why, and lay it out and have that, that clear line of communication. And there's going to be some mm. owners, obviously, that are like, nope, I'm good. I just want the bare minimum. I want to pay this, and that's what I'm, my priority is, is the, solely the cost. And then if, you know, if you're wanting that premium, you got to be willing to say, okay, well, we're going to move on. We're not the, the right fit for you. It's a bit strange, going back to that analogy of the doctor. Like you said, okay, well, he has two doctors, one studied 50 years ago and hasn't read a medical journal or attended any medical conference since he got his qualification 50 years ago and he's offering a very cheap service and he has another doctor who keeps up to date with all the latest diagnosis and treatments you know but he's a bit more expensive you're sick which one would you like to to consult (laughs) 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 would you like the cheapest guy or the most yeah or the more expensive guy 
I know I'd probably not go with a guy who hasn't kept up with the latest treatment and diagnosis. Yeah. Um, I'd be worried. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there are, there's a segment of the people that w- would <laughs> go to that cheaper doctor for sure, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How does technology, to just to bring John into this, and also applied software, I mean, how does technology aid the communication process? You know, how does it streamline? Because, I mean, ICT, effectively, information communication technology, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's about the technologies that support the communications between people, whatever those communications are. Like, what's your view on the role of technology? I mean, in, you, you said uh, you, you wanted to speak more about innovation in contact. I think this last uh, 18 months has proven the necessity of technology and communication when we've all been forced to not rely on the, the ways that we might have been gotten used to with in-person face-to-face contact or a lot of the, the processes that we had pre-COVID were broken. And so we had to rely on technology in order to communicate clearly and effectively, whether that was you know through Slack channels or Teams or text messages, you, you name your even basic platforms of communication. And those you saw a, or just a rapid spike of adoption on those. Not uh, to mention all the, the other kind of cooler, higher level technology platforms and like with AR and VR. Now you don't have to go to the job site to have every single person that needs to be have eyes on the site. You don't have to have them in person for them to have eyes on the site. You can go into some really cool, very realistic environments with AR and VR that they can all see it and experience it. And I, I think coming out of lockdowns and uh, as things start opening back up, you're going to be able to see this cool combination of kind of the best of both worlds. And so you can be more intentional with technology. You can be more strategic with how you use technology and kind of that, that blend of in-person versus digital. Uh, but technology, I don't see how in today's world you communicate without using technology. If you're solely relying on in-person, face-to-face contact and stuff to get your message across, you are handcuffing yourself so bad and and just really harming your ability to communicate with anybody. Although you could say one of the advantages of person-to-person communication is you know that the person is receiving the information because they're right there. Um, Or actually, maybe you don't know. know, They might be there but not really listening to you. Yeah, and communication only happens when you somebody p- puts out information and somebody receives information. So I don't think a lot of people think about that because particularly in th- this day and age, a lot of people are putting out communications through all sorts of channels, emails, Twitter, LinkedIn, podcasts. Yeah, so we're all putting out lots of information, but we, we have probably very little idea of how much People are receiving that information, and and, and then communication hasn't happened until somebody has received that information. So, yeah, you know, as a as a communications director and somebody with a, a background in you know, marketing, and how do you leverage technology and also at the same time make sure that people are receiving the information? Well, I, I think that rather bigger... than just leveraging technology to put it out. Yeah. yeah. The the bigger question to think through when you're thinking communication is what channel is best served by this specific piece of communication. I think that the problem that people fall into is that they 
either A, just blast the same exact piece of information on every single channel that they can possibly think of, or they put the information on the channel that they most like to receive the information and communication from. Instead of thinking, the person that I'm trying to get to hear this piece of communication, what channel do they go to? What channel do they want to receive this piece of information on? And then there's some forms of communications that just don't translate well in certain channels. Like if you're in a face-to-face -face or a Zoom meeting with video cameras on and, and you're just reading through an agenda or like a, a calendar, well, that could be sent in an email. You don't need to waste everybody's time in a in-person meeting reading through a, a calendar. Send out the email and everybody can look at it in their own time and pull it up. If you're in an email and you're listing out just crazy complicated items that need a you know full day of brainstorming, don't send that in an email. Set up a meeting or face-to-face -face or, or whatever. I think it's important to think through not only the form of communication, but then what channel best serves that communication need and how are your end users going to interpret that and what channels do they want to be on? And again, slow down to, to speed up, think through that on the, the front side of things, and it makes the communication a lot smoother overall. Because yeah. you want communication and the exchange of information to have an effect. You know? So you want people to receive that information, and you, you also want to, that information to inspire them to do something. So we went going back to the, the first statement, you know, you want those two bricks to end up on top of each other and the building to come together. So, you know, that's really important right. that the, the communication and this, the flow of information has some impact. If you were looking at this industry as an outsider, which to, to some degree you are or you were before you, you, you joined us, yeah. and I said to you, we've been using technology since the 90s to produce information. So we've been using word processing and spreadsheets and uh, CAD, various CAD applications. So we've used a lot of technology. And then when it came to the communication or the exchange of that information, we printed it out on a piece of paper, gave the piece of paper to the next party, who then had to interpret the piece of paper and re-input information into another piece of technology to carry out some other process. What did you say? You said, that, well, surely that's not happening. <laughs> Surely that's madness, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, the AEC industry obviously has had technology over the last couple of decades, like in the forms that you were just mentioning. But the, the problem is in that disjointed nature and that hasn't, we've had to have a solution until as of late when interoperability has started to become the, the big buzzword. And, and how do we then connect those pieces of data and those silos together so that we can have that kind of one streamless form of communication, that single source of truth that everybody's operating in at the same time, getting the same information so that you don't have to print something off to send it over, somebody to interpret and import into the same system that you are working in the same model. You're designing it as you're building it. I think that that's one of the parts of the industry that kind of always mind boggles me looking into it is like the architects will design it one way and then it gets totally reinterpreted into when the, you know, the GC gets it and then the, the subs reinterpret it and kind of rebuild their own things. But nobody's designing it exactly how it's going to be built in the end because there's so many variables and so much kind of mystery clouded into the system. And so, wouldn't it be better if we spend our time thinking through the interoperability of it to connect all those pieces together and have that more streamlined form of communication? To me, that's where 
the industry and technology providers really need to spend a ton of time. And you're seeing people come into that space, but that's where the, the real value is, is to let's model it exactly how we're going to build it from everybody's vantage point. And everybody is working in that same space so that there's you really limit the potential errors or just cloud of confusion that, that happens on a project. Of course, there's lots of cool things happening in technology, but you know, at a very basic level, what's been happening in more recent years is people saying, well, instead of exchanging these pieces of paper or even just sort of, uh, let's call them dumb PDFs, you know, PDFs that are really just snapshots of a piece of paper, if you want to, if you want to call right. it that. It's just a digital uh, piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's not data that can be queried or uh, interrogated or, or even used for any purpose. It's, it, the only purpose of it, like a raster PDF, is you, you open it and look at it with your eyes like you would a piece of paper. And let's move to exchanging digital files. And maybe this is where we can bring you in, John, because uh, you're doing a lot of work in this area of we've got all these technologies, people are producing lots of data. The data is all, everybody's using their own way of producing data because, well, to be honest, one of the, the, the problems of that is when you when the end product is a piece of paper with black ink on white paper, it doesn't really matter what standards you used to produce that data in the back end. Yeah. So, because you're going to print it out onto a piece of paper or a dumb PDF and happy days, you know, you've done your job. But now, as we start to exchange digital data and digital files, of course, that doesn't work anymore because if you, if you want systems to talk to each other, then the data has to be structured in a similar way and things have to mean the same thing. So if you're talking about a door and I'm talking about a door, we're talking about the same thing and we understand we're talking about the same thing and the, and the systems we use understand we're talking about the same thing. It becomes quite complex. What do you think, John? Um, I think you're right, Ralph. Like I, I, I do think that standards are important for producing information. So, for example, I know with some of the tools that we support, that integration between we support different formats of, for example, drawings and specifications. What this means is that if the creator of the information in one system creates a specification based based on one format, it it can then be read in another system using, uh, you know, so pretty much the other system can parse that information based on that standard and read the information. I do think that the PDFing or the flattening, the dumbing down of information into, as you called it, you know, white, white paper with black ink is not ideal. But I do think that there's kind of a duality in these systems whereby the information does exist in databases, in data models within the respective systems. And for the purposes of meeting construction-based deliverables, i.e. paper-based deliverables, the information is pressed into these PDFs, and that's kind of where they end up in the information is, like, can be referenced out of um, downstream in the project lifecycle. Something that I've been talking about on Twitter recently is one of the, some of the issues with the ISO 19650 file naming convention and the double handling of metadata to do with the individual or the pieces of, or these documents or information containers 
what we're finding is that some organizations are being quite diligent about applying file names, but being less so diligent about applying the metadata to the files within the CD system. So that when we're reading from re- reading these information containers from the CDs, we're seeing the file names say, okay, this is, you know, the, the role on this file is a structural engineer. Whereas in the metadata dropdown, it's a services engineer. So you've kind of double handling of pieces of information, like, you know, so it, I think the flattening of this information into PDFs, into files is adding yeah, that is having a huge impact on the integrity of the information as it's exchanged between systems and also um, adding project or risk to the project. And, you know, some of the knock on um, uh, challenges there is that like people who are receiving this information downstream are getting this information and noticing that the metadata and the file name is different and they're losing faith in the in the in the system itself and it's actually having a huge hugely negative impact on the level of adoption of technology in the projects i mean just to play devil's advocate for a second but listening to all that you know people might say it sounds like a complex problem to solve and what's the point in solving it we've We've managed to build buildings without solving that problem forever. <laughs> yeah, so buildings do get built. You know, so so why spend time delving into that complex problem? And coming back to your earlier point, Todd, we don't we don't have time. Yeah, everybody's busy, and uh, you know, what what would be the point from your point of view, Todd, like of solving these problems? What's what's the what's the uh, motivation? Yeah, uh, I think it's an excellent question. Uh, I think I would challenge back on it is, you know, if you're acceptable with, you know, one or two percent margin, then continue how you're doing it. I think that switching it up, you could get more margin and you already are seeing companies that are switching it up. And so I go back to if the profit doesn't motivate you, then maybe competition will. And competitors are already shifting their mindset and are moving into that space and I think the technology that's coming into the construction industry over the next decade, especially, is is going to make it more of a necessity to adopt this kind of mindset shift and embrace it. And those people are going to be so far outpaced versus the people that are going to be stuck in their ways of we've always done it this way. And, you know, it, it, it's worked. So good yeah. on you. It, it, it's worked. But will it work and will it continue to work with these new technologies and these new processes coming online? Uh, I'm skeptical. I'm uh, I'm hawkish on the technology aspect of it, but I, I, yeah, I think that it's a it's a fair fair question. I'm curious, yeah. John. Well, it's, a, uh, it's I mean, that's a culture and mindset thing. Is what you're saying? It's right. Um, so I mean, it's true. We do get buildings built. So that is absolutely true. Buildings get built, but you know, they're always late. They're always more expensive than they should be. You know, they. They're always dangerous places to work. Yeah, they always have a big impact on the environment. So they work, but they also don't work. You could say they right. don't work well. well. I, like, I or, think that or they the, could work better. <laughs> yeah, this might be harsh, but I, I think the construction has has gotten used to kind of living off of scraps almost. Uh, and what would it look like if they didn't have to? And I don't think they have to settle for that. I, I think that if you 
change this mindset, you change this attitude, you change the culture aspect of it. Construction can be much more progressive and uh, get bigger margins than and, and reduce those risks, reduce safety risk by embracing technology and the cool innovations that are happening in the industry and, and uh, bridging all these data points together. I mean, it's not a nice place to work, like 1%, 2% margin. I mean, that's on the, the knife edge of bankruptcy all the time. You know, so yeah. you're one, one little mistake away from you know, being out of business. Yeah, I mean, there's so much pressure on every single job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, I, I don't think that uh, that's part of the nature of the business somewhat. So you're not really going to fully get away from that. But I think that you can relieve some of that pressure and stress by yeah. these mindset changes. I mean, as a marketing person and a messaging person, let's say, maybe, if, I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but you know, how do we get across to people this idea that construction could be so much better you know, for everybody involved? It could work so much better, and you know, everybody could do much better. I mean, people have been saying that for so many years, and, and yet nothing changes. Yeah. Is there, is there a marketing problem? Is there a messaging problem? Is there... <laughs> Partially, or, or, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or is it that people like? Is there a little bit of a thrill on living on the knife edge? You know, for some people, the firefighting and the yeah, you know, dealing with with all these these problems. Is there, yeah, is there, I, I think know. all the above are are factors in it for sure. Uh, you, you get that kind of adrenaline rush and, and junkie trying to pull it out from the the fire. Uh, I think that as a more technology comes available that actually works for construction and designed for construction, I think in the past technology has been there, but it, construction wasn't the main kind of focus of that technology. So it got to the field and they're like, this doesn't work. But there's technologies coming out there now that are specifically with the field in mind. And that's at the end of the day where the technology needs to make the big impact. So I think as those and people get start building confidence in that technology, you'll see that start to that mindset start to shift. I think as the younger generations are coming into construction, we're technology natives. And so we're going to people are looking around the industry going, well, if I can do this in my personal life, why can't I do this here on the job site and leverage technology? And so that's going to be a big help in, in the mindset change. And in order to address their kind of point in, in order to really address the, the skilled labor shortage that just continues to get worse as more people are retiring out and not enough people are coming in. It becomes a survival necessity to embrace the technology to just keep up with the day to day. And as you start embracing that, you're going to start seeing those efficiency gains. And I think that's going to become more the adrenaline rush is chasing those efficiency gains instead of just trying to have the adrenaline rush on. Let's try to squeak out a 1% profit. And you're going to see Back to that competition, you're, you're going to see companies that are, are able to make some pretty big headway in this. And mm. there's going to be other people that are going to be pointing to that going, oh, I want that. How do, how do we uh, try to keep up? And, and what are they doing that's allowing them to get you made out a lot of this point? A lot of good points there, but I'll just pick up on one. You said technology that works. Like, what does that mean <laughs> for, for construction? I mean, so you're interested in innovation in the context space, which is technology specifically for construction. What what innovations do you think are needed? What What's missing? I think probably ease of use is one of the, the bigger factors. So, uh, you know, one of the, the companies specifically with the field tech that I, I think is, is pretty cool is uh, Dato, 
that is out there. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, it's a search platform. Think of this is probably doing a disservice to data. So I'm sorry, friends of data, <laughs> if I'm not explaining this correctly. But uh, it's like a, a Google uh, available for all your construction docs. So when you're in the field, you can type in how you would actually say it. And it will it does this crazy cool complex searchability for people in the field to be able to pull up whatever document that they're looking for instead of trying to have to log onto the server and, and find out what somebody else might have named it. It's just a very intuitive, lightweight, easy to use piece of software. And it, it's something a, ser- that, a search engine for data. That's yeah. It's a simple uh, concept that what we use in our day to day life that is, is making it easier for the people in the field. They don't have time to sit and go to the computer, pull up the back end server and try to find out what particular file they're looking for. Navigate through 3000 PDFs. Yeah. <laughs> It's ridiculous. You know, so they can that allows them that quick, easy to use way to interact with the the documents and in the model. Um, So I think simple stuff like that is going to make a a big impact. Of course, that will rely on coming back to the standards. If if people when they're making documents or models or, or spreadsheets or whatever are not using a similar language, then, yeah, that's. That's not really going to work, is it? So if you're looking for something across multiple data sources, you know, they, yeah, they all have to have a common language, if you like. Yeah, no, fair point. It leads to a question for John. Uh, do you think that firms, in order to kind of uh, help in that, that data connection, do you think that firms have to come more in that, like, kind of tech company mindset and maybe have a developer on staff then to work with the different APIs to be able to connect the platforms together and make it easier to use? From working with multiple platforms on projects, I think it's becoming less important that organizations have developers and people that are conscious about, you know, like for instance, using one project standard for defining how how they label their documents, for example. And the reason being is that the platforms like, you know, BIM 360, Procore, Oracle, they all have their own mechanisms of actually labeling these pieces of information. And a platform like Dedo is mapping to these respective platforms and their own internal data models. So, you know, pushing a burden on an organization to try and customize or mold a certain platform in a certain way to be compatible with an overall project information management standard, I feel is becoming less important. And even from BIM Launcher's perspective, we map, we, we transfer the data, we map, we map the data between different platforms. And we're even moving into a role of an overall, you know, an information management platform where we're actually validating the data before it's been pulled in and, or, you know, before we're actually touching the data and we're actually pushing notifications to the project teams to say, Hey, look, the design team said they QA checked all the documents. They said that the, the, the doc, all the documents were correctly named and labeled, but they're, you know, based on the requirements of your platform, just so you know, you're not receiving the kind of information that you thought you were from the design team. So I suppose that's going to make you popular. 
<laughs> yeah, well, look, it's, it's someone has to police it, right? And yeah. like, it's for, from my perspective, when you take a step back and look holistically at the project, if the downstream project teams are receiving bad data, you know, people are just going to push back on the technology, and you know, it's good for no one really. So. I suppose kind of there's a duality to my answer there. I, I think that I'd remove the first part of it where I said, no, it's not, not so important. I think that it is quite important that um, you at least abide by and use the systems because at the end of the day, that shit in, shit out principle still applies. Yeah. So what's the solution? How do we get good software? Should, should technology, turn, turning your thing around, Todd, should technology companies have on staff architects and contractors and engineers who understand what actually needs to happen and what the technology has to do so that the, the technology they design does you know is fit for purpose yeah i i would argue yeah uh, <laughs> maybe not necessarily fully on staff but you have to be able to have a two-way communication with who's your end users going to be and get advice and, and input on what you're doing are our sister company, Evolve MEP, uh, is a really good example of this in that they have uh, a couple different ways. They have, they have a, a monthly kind of hangout with all their clients and pull them into the road mapping process. And so as they're building out new features, they're talking about it and testing it with clients all the time. And then even after they roll out a new release, they're still going back in to clients and, and having this brainstorm. And clients are then able to they have this uh, platform where they can go in and, and log. Wouldn't it be really cool if it did this? Or I would like to see this feature, or, you know, some pie in the sky. This would be amazing. And that gets roadmapped in very quickly. And so they're able to spit out all these new releases because pretty quickly because they have that you know, hand in glove relationship with their actual end user. And the end user is then able to have input and, and feedback very easily to whoever. And there's those multiple touch points along the way. So. Whether you have them perfectly, you know, on staff, I, I would still say, even if you have them on staff, you, you still need that uh, consistent interface. and, yeah, yeah kind of very close relationship with your actual end user because they're the ones using it day in and day out, and they're they're going to know the the kinks and the quirks about it a lot more than anybody else will. I mean, yeah. that's the role of a product manager in a tech firm yeah. is to understand the customers and their needs, and then deliver the product based on that. So. You know, your your product manager is someone who understands the tech and understands the customer and marries those two needs. Uh, so they deliver the spec to the, to the technology team in the vendor organization and they, you know, pretty much, I suppose, meet the needs of their customers. That is that is what a good product manager is able to do. So whether they're from an architect or an engineering background, I mean, I mean that, that really... Um, proves quite quite useful and valuable but i think that if you have a product manager who has a love and a desire to understand and know um what their architecture and engineering customers are doing with their software and how they want to work that's you know like can work both ways Mm -hmm. yeah it comes back to this point of communication being a a two-way thing so it's not just you know tech companies pushing stuff out but, you know, but also be willing to to receive information back 
yeah, and it's, it's this loop, continuous loop of of innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which well, you could say the same thing for projects. You know, like building projects mm-hmm. need good pro- project managers who have a you know, good understanding of the client's needs and a, and a good understanding of how the the back end design and construction process actually works to be able to marry the two and yeah, and, and yeah. get the the communication going between the two so that clients are not disappointed when they see the end product of their couple of million dollar project. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the end of the day, it's just good communication practices, period. No matter what form it takes, it, you have to listen to who you're talking to way more than you actually saying words back in. Is it is there a lack of training of communications? and Because, I mean, you're, you're from a marketing background, so that's your training is in communications and the impact of I mean, it's not something you're taught at college when you become a designer or contractor. Or, yeah, so it's not the importance of communications. Well, it's, it may be taught implicitly, or, but it's not taught as a yeah, communications as a subject. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it is. <laughs> Maybe it is now. <laughs> I think that's a fair point, that the basic kind of fundamental building blocks of communication aren't, aren't taught and I think especially in our our culture today of, you know, 140 characters on on Twitter, people don't have the uh, maybe stamina (laughs) to Mm. have a a good conversation. They're so used to just kind of spitting information out that, again, to kind of take the time on the front side and and sit down and actually have a a conversation to get to know where the other person's coming from. That doesn't come naturally. It comes more naturally just to start spouting off what you know and and not take the time to to listen. Mm. Do you think the AEC sector has a an image problem, a branding problem? Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I we, think it's we, a huge well, problem. We like you said we're definitely not attracting young and you know, young people, and we're def- definitely not attracting the sort of most capable people within the industries. So, you know, what 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 needs to change? How, how does AEC become a really cool place to to be and and to work and to to do great things because it is. I mean, if you think about it, the AC sector is building the world. I mean, it's, there's no other sector that has such an impact on everybody's life. Yeah. Um, and yet, yeah, it's most people would see it as probably the last place you want to work. Yeah, it's a cool industry. I mean, you're you're building something from nothing. That's that's freaking cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> mm. uh, I I think that the the problem and lasting has, as well. Yeah. The, the problem comes in is, uh, you know, specifically with construction, maybe that they have allowed, they've kind of outsourced the perception to other people because they don't talk about what's going on. And when they do talk about it, it's usually one of the train wrecks that happened and they're talking about, oh, this project was a disaster or something. And instead of sharing the success stories that are plenty throughout the industry and, and taking their own narrative and talking about it. And so, I think just sharing what what you do and pulling people into the process, whether that's on social media or, you know, whoever you're Joe Schmo on the, the street, one of your friends that you're talking to really explain and tell the stories that are out there and that are happening and that, that involve the, the people that are in the industry, the, the technology that's coming into the space, the robots, the AR, the VR. I mean, this is some cool technology that other industries don't have at all. And so I think by just sharing some of the, the stories, it's going to go a long way and Kind of taking that narrative back, but it's it's going to be it needs to be a collective effort going out and sharing the stories. It's an old media problem, isn't it? That you know the bad news makes the headline, and the good news never gets doesn't make the back page. Right. Because <laughs> um, yeah. they are obviously fantastic things happening in the industry, but nobody gets to hear about them because it's 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 good news rather than bad news. 
yeah, that's why we need to take it on ourselves and, and share the, the stories out. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we've got to the hour. John, do you have any last uh, questions you want to ask Todd? Or? Yeah, many questions, Todd. I don't even think we got started in our conversations. <laughs> I know there's quite an awful a lot of overlap between um, some of the products that your company does and, and, and the product our company does. So hopefully someday we'll get to touch on those, maybe a part two, Ralph. But uh, yeah, as, as Ralph said. Well, you, we, you're solving this. You're trying to solve the same, a similar problem, isn't it, in, in, in communicating and sharing of information. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the exchange of information on a technical level yeah. is, is, is really just a, an enhanced two-way communication challenge isn't it <laughs> yeah, and maintaining the integrity of that information as well in the process yeah. it is it is a, a challenge so <laughs> yeah not something we can fit into to a couple of minutes i don't think so yeah. you might just have to thank todd for his time right now and <laughs> maybe we, re, we revisit a focused uh, ac hive podcast on that topic exchange of information sounds cool mm-hmm. todd do you want to get us any parting words to listeners, words of encouragement or particular things you want to communicate just to kind of end off? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, on the words of encouragement, I, I think that what's cool about construction is I, I'm very much convinced that this is construction and AC more broadly is the industry to be in over the next decade because there's there's so much cool stuff happening. I think you're going to see just a uh, takeoff of this industry over the next decade of the, the innovation and the technology and just the, the amount of cool stuff happening is, is very con- exciting and, and contagious. So share those stories out. As far as uh, on the, the personal side of things, I would love to connect with anybody. Uh, LinkedIn is uh, on, on there all the time, maybe a little too much, but connect with me on LinkedIn. Applied Software, if you're interested in that, is the best way for that is the website, asti.com, and then Bridging the Gap podcast. Uh, would love to have you go over and check us out there, too. That's Bridging the Gap pod.com is the, the website for that. And, and, and what is the gap you're trying to bridge? Lots of gaps that we're trying to, to bridge. <laughs> uh, so on Bridging the Gap, we look at construction and MEP from a, a holistic vantage point. So trying to bridge culture gap, trying to bridge the, the innovation gap, the technology gap, the leadership gap, a whole disruption happening in the, the industry as well. Uh, and just really trying to be a, a champion for the industry as a whole and the, the innovation happening around here. Cool. Well, Todd, thanks very much for coming on to this podcast and the AEC Hive. And Bridging the Gap is on the AEC Hive podcast channel, so do check it out. And we we thank you for your time and your input. And I'm sure we'll talk again on, on, on more detailed discussions on the exchange of information. Sounds good. Sounds great. Thanks so much again. This was fun.